0: Growth Igniter's Radio, Episode 56, Using the Power of Improvisation to Boost Organizational Momentum. This episode is brought to you by Business Advancement Incorporated, enabling successful leaders and companies to accelerate to their next level of growth. On the web at businessadvance.com. And now, here's Pam and Scott. Thanks,
1: Chris. I'm Pam Harper, founding partner and CEO of Business Advancement Incorporated. And right across from me is my business partner and husband, Scott Harper. Hi, Scott.
2: Hi, Pam. And as always, I'm just so happy to be together with you again for another episode of Growth Igniter's Radio. And if this is your first time listening, our purpose is to spark new insights, inspiration, and immediately useful ideas for visionary leaders to accelerate themselves and their companies to their next level of success. So Pam, you've just returned from a pretty powerful experience. Tell us about that.
1: It really was. I was at Michael Port's heroic public speaking live event, which was down in Fort Lauderdale, and it was last week, which was in February. Yeah,
2: I, I <laughs> had below zero, and you had seventy. It was yes, we. <laughs> It was a wonderful experience.
1: (laughs) Yes. What a powerful experience it was. First of all, I'm a big believer that you always have to keep learning. Right. And public speaking and connecting and performing is something that we can always get better at in so many ways. And Michael Port, incidentally, is the author of the book Steal the Show, Mm -hmm. which is a book we're going to be talking about in an upcoming book pairing episode. That's right. So... One of the big things that we learned, among many, was about the power of improvisation. And I never really thought about how many ways we improvise in life. So as I was sitting there, I was thinking about an incident that happened a while back where I was working with a group. I was consulting to a company that was in the process of accelerating on their journey of growth right. through collaboration. And this was a big change in the company. Specifically, I remembered that I had been talking with a number of groups in the company about some different things that they were going to need to be learning and communicating differently among themselves. Right, And one particular group was very resistant to what I was talking about. And as we were going along, I could start seeing arms crossed. Now, this was something that had been very well received in other sessions. Mm -hmm. But in this particular group, there were a lot of people who just sat there in this U, and they had their arms crossed, and the frowns on their faces, Uh and it was looking very, very bad. Not
2: a receptive audience. And I
1: thought, I have a choice here. I'm either going to keep on going with what I was going to talk about, or I was going to stop. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was going to look at them, and I was going to find out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I made the second choice, and I was so glad I did. It was not exactly what I thought they would say, but it was important. And what they said to me— What did me, they say? What they said was, we think you're a spy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, What? This was a group that was filled with uh, people who were pretty down to earth, and I was able to joke with them a little bit. And I said, you're right, I am. Why would you think I'm a spy? And they pointed to a window in the room, and they said, that looks like a one-way mirror, and I bet you that people are sitting in there looking at us. And I... Well, what was it? Actually, of course, it was just a window with a curtain okay. but I said no that's not it at all. What uh, in fact is happening, though, you are right. I am talking about more than just the topic. In fact, the leadership wanted to understand more of some of the issues and concerns that were going on across the company. And so I said to them, look, I'm here for you and there is legitimate learning that can take place. But at the same time, I am trying to get information. I'm trying to find out collectively what's going on, what your views are about various topics. Mm -hmm. And I said, if you're willing to share that with me, I'm willing to take this over to the executive team and we can talk about it. And then they can do something about some of the things that they need to know about. And the people looked at me and I looked at them and they said, okay.
2: Wow, so by dropping agenda and getting off of your set talk and really listening and and eliciting and being authentic. You sounds like you broke through. Well, I know you did. Uh, You broke through that barrier and really got to a, a higher level of performance.
1: It was it was very exciting in a way, because when they started working with me, not only was I able to understand more of what was going on. They were able to gain something because there was real learning that they could have in terms of communication and collaboration. That was all there. But I was able to take this Mm -hmm. and take it over to the executive committee and they took action. Okay. This was a group that really cared about making things happen for their company and we were able to significantly boost momentum in the organization mm-hmm. this way.
2: So now thinking about this sort of unintentional improv that you did back in the context of uh, the heroic public speaking event and the improv session you went through there. Well, how did you bring that together? What insight came out of that?
1: We have to be willing to drop our agendas. Okay. And I had done it instinctively. Mm-hmm how often we can make these conscious choices. So rather than just pushing information out at people, and that point was made at the conference, Mm -hmm. rather than just pushing the information out, we have to engage. And so it's a flow between us and the audience, and the audience and us. And we have to work together, and we build something much greater than any of us individually could do.
2: Okay, so really being more aware of the elements of improvisation and how you can build and be conscious of what it takes, being present, building on the person or people you're working with, that really can help. And so, having talked about this, you're back now from the event. It seems very relevant for us now to revisit a conversation we had back in episode 44 with Kelly Leonard, one of the luminaries in the world of improvisational theater. Uh, He's co-author of the best-selling book, Yes, And, Lessons from the Second City. And he's the president and CEO of Kelly Leonard Productions. He's also aligned as creative advisor with... Second City Comedy Club in Chicago, and where we used to visit when we lived in Chicago fairly frequently. Uh, He worked there since 1988, so very experienced in the world of improv. Uh, He worked with Stephen Colbert, Tina Fey, Steve Carell, Amy Poehler. So many. Many, many others that are household names now. And he founded Second City Theatricals, the division of the company that develops live entertainment all over the world. And you can see more of his biography on... Uh, growthignitersradio.com, episode 56. And it occurred to us that digging deeper with Kelly about the power of yes and and the power of improvisation really is appropriate now uh, with our higher awareness of this really important skill.
1: You never stop improving.
2: <laughs> you never stop improving. And so, with that, let's go back and revisit our t- conversation about the power of yes and with Kelly Leonard. Let's listen.
1: Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper, that's me, and Scott Harper, who's missing today. Scott's still out sick, and I'm improvising with Kelly Leonard of Kelly Leonard Productions and The Second City about the power of improvisation in business as well as in entertainment. Kelly, how can people find out more about you and your various ventures?
3: Oh, well, they can find me uh, still at www.secondcity.com. I'm on LinkedIn. And also on Twitter at KL Second City.
1: Okay, and there are a lot of good things that are coming up. I was checking on the website just uh, yesterday, and it looks like a full range of offerings that are there. So let's go back to our conversation. You were saying we don't learn about this kind of improvisation in school, not as much as we need to anyway. So, what does it mean to say yes and?
3: yeah, yes and is sort of ground zero for all improvisation. And and the idea there is we actually live in a no and no but culture. People love saying no. And and no is really a tool for people who are acting out of fear uh, or want control. Conversely, saying yes is great, but it's not the only thing. What you have to do is you have to affirm and contribute. You have to say yes and if you want to Create an innovative, creative culture.
1: What is what so, would be an example of that, Kelly?
3: Say you're in a brainstorming session with your staff, and someone comes up with something that sounds like a silly idea. When you shoot down that idea immediately, no, that won't work. Nope, bad idea. You're not just shooting down the idea; you're shooting down the person. There's every reason to believe that that person will not offer up another idea because they don't want to look silly or stupid in front of mm-hmm. their boss or, or their coworkers. But sure. the reality is. No great invention ever came out fully baked, and no great invention, for the most part didn't sound incredibly stupid at some point. You know, there's so many stories about how accidents turned into, you know, successes. I mean, the iPod was trafficked around to tons of people before Apple picked up on it. No one thought that was a good idea. You know, I do tons of these talks to different business groups, and when we talk about yes-and, invariably, there's a guy in the back who raises his hand and says, yeah, 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 if I yes-and everything, I won't get any work done. And what we're not saying is that you yes-and jumping off a bridge. What we're saying is that If you are involved in the act of making something out of nothing, right, and and Mm -hmm. think of that very broadly, in the act of making something out of nothing, you have to, if you want the most abundant amount of ideas, you have to at least yes and at the beginning. Give it 15 minutes. Just say it's 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. Just to yes and. And at that point, you're going to see more people contributing, more ideas are going to come up. And by the way, one of the things that you you do when you yes and a lot is it makes it a lot easier and faster to say no, because everyone feels Hmm. that they've been heard. You see all these sort of ideas on a whiteboard, and you can start killing off the ones that really don't work. And it's all fine. So egos are held in check. People are excited because they're at least being heard. And you get to better ideas when you yes and.
1: So yes, in this case, really means, yes, I've heard you. I accept your idea. That's and not it. And a, the, necessarily that I agree with the idea.
3: Right, exactly. And then the and part is, and where else in our collaboration can this idea go? We, we have a phrase that, you know, we're, we're not looking for your idea. We're looking for the best idea. And mm-hmm. what that means is that a lot of invention, a lot of stuff that gets made, many hands contribute to it. We all know that. I mean, you know, you know people don't do this stuff just, you know, rarely do they do it just by themselves. Alone. So if a lot of people are involved in making something happen, you should have them all contribute at a certain level uh, together to make that happen. But it's really about control. A lot of bad leaders don't want to yes and because they don't want to have other people get credit or they are Mm. afraid that they won't be able to control the outcome. And you never control the outcome in business. You can't, I mean, the markets change, times change, things change. And, you know, we live in a culture of change. So that's why the Improvisers Toolkit is so important is because it is change oriented. It's Mm -hmm, the behaviors are about real human behaviors and real markets, and you have to learn how to pivot when you're an improviser. And guess what? If you're a business person, you got to know how to pivot.
1: (laughs) That's definitely true. Is there anything else that we should know before we talk about something else? I mean, as far as what it doesn't mean?
0: Yeah,
3: right. This is an interesting thing about Second City is that we we have such an affirmative and powerful uh, and positive kind of training module to create content that is very edgy and very challenging, and sometimes very dark. That's what happens on the Second City stage. What One of our great mottos is dare to offend at the Second City. Uh, mm. So we're not Pollyannic um, about the fact that one needs to say you know uh, no all the time in business. We're just saying that if you want to be an innovative business, you have to start with yes and. What you shouldn't do is go straight to no.
1: So this is a good foundation. And in the book, you talk about the difference between building an ensemble, which I understand is very important in improvisation, versus teams per se. I can understand a bit about how it would benefit the Second City based on what you're saying, but how would it benefit other types of businesses?
3: Well, in business, we ask a lot of our business teams, our business units, and yet we don't equip them with all the tools they need to be successful as a group of people working together. So in improvisation, there's all these rules about ensemble-oriented behaviors. How do you get the most out of your group that's improvising on stage? It's all behavioral science, essentially. So you can translate that to any sort of working environment. And One of the adages I love uh, that comes from our work is we've all heard the term, your team is only as good as its weakest member. And at Second City, we Mm -hmm. we changed that. Our our saying is your team or your ensemble is only as good as its ability to compensate for its weakest member. And the distinction there is... What you're not doing is putting the onus just on the weakest member, on the individual. You're putting the onus back on the team or the ensemble, because at any given time, one of us is going to be the weakest member. No one person has all the answers. No one person is good at everything. You know, I'm going to be the weakest person at a certain point. And you know, at that moment, when I'm the weakest person, what I really want is the power of the group to take me forward rather than be ostracized. But the reverse happens so often in business, that when someone's not good at something, they are shunned. And that's just psychologically dumb. <laughs> it's not good. Yeah. It doesn't build stronger, more resilient business people at all. So ensemble behaviors, and we talk a lot about it in, in the book, are things sometimes that are just as, as simple as showing up on time and the importance of showing up on time and what that means with regard to respecting the time of the rest of the group. And then it mm-hmm. gets you know, granular and, and deep into other kinds of ensemble behaviors. But, you know, we are, are huge believers in the power of the ensemble, and I, I can tell you, over, you know, I've worked at Second, Second Cities so many years, and I've produced so many shows, what separates a great Second City show from a not-great Second City show is when there is a bad ensemble member, when there's someone inside mm-hmm. that ensemble who doesn't believe in the power of the group, who doesn't exhibit and model good ensemble behaviors, that makes the product less good.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, the other thing I thought was interesting about the concept of ensemble that you talk about in the book is that it's a great way to deal with the issue of having all the right talent. That's a really interesting thing.
3: It is. The other aspect of this is when you're looking to build an ensemble, you know, like we build a cast, what you don't want is everyone who thinks the same way. What you don't want is everyone who has the exact same skill set because there's power in matching introverts and extroverts. There's power in diversity. There's power in different kinds of gender. You know, when we look at a Second City cast, you know, we're looking for writers and clowns and singers and actors, and and it's rare that one person can do all of that. So you look to sort of balance out your group, and diversity is a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, that's very broadly, right? Uh, uh, All kinds of diversity. And I think that that is something that a lot of businesses look at as an onus rather than something that's actually an important attribute for your company. You need to be diverse. If you want to reach the broadest audience, make sure your own audience is diverse inside, and you get to better shows, and you get to better products.
1: Absolutely. And the other thing that I see in this is so often when we're working with clients, the issue is one of talent acquisition. Oh, we're so dependent upon this particular person. What you're saying that I really like is that you really focus on the value that the whole ensemble brings, which means that your talent. I mean, you've had so many that have gone on to other things and you weren't captive to that one person.
3: Exactly, and, and that's something that I really had to learn over time, because when you're working with Stephen Colbert or Tina Fey and they decide to leave, it's not a great feeling, because you know what they bring to your team. But what, what happens is they go, and um, the ensemble's still there, and someone new steps into that role, and, and they do great. And that's been basically the premise of Second City since 1959, and it's the mm-hmm. reason that we've thrown out so much great talent. I mean, you're, you're starting with people like Mike Nichols and Elaine May, and mm-hmm. now you're producing people like, you know, Amy Poehler and Keegan-Michael Key. It's like, what is the ingredient to success there? And it was because the ensemble was the important thing, and it never left, and we didn't try to own our talent. We, we basically gave really talented people a, um, uh, a series of rules and behaviors that made them stronger.
1: So, uh, one other thing, Kelly, is you talk in the book about the power of co-creation, which uh, Scott and I have championed in our own work. Can you tell us about how the Second City co-creates with its audience and the parallel that goes with, say, applying it to any other kind of company?
3: Sure. Well, you asked earlier why we wrote the book, and one of the reasons that I didn't mention at the time was you wake up one day, and you realize that your business essentially is is the way the world works now. So what does Second City do? We create short-form content interactively. That's what we do. And we're like, oh, that's YouTube. You know, That's Google. That's everything now. So when we create our shows at Second City through improvisation, we are asking the audience for suggestions, but then we're also using their real-time response to gauge whether things are working or not. And we re-improvise scenes a, a number of times to get the material right, and it's all based on the rhythms and the response that the audience is giving us. So, you know, living in the world today, so many brands are realizing that no matter what thing they make or what their business is, that they are in conversation with their audience maybe through marketing, but maybe through developing the very product that that they use. So when you look at what Second City has done over the years, we've created a model for co-creation. We've created a model for being in conversation with our audience as a way to develop our content but also spread the word of our content. And there's a number of things that go into that. Probably the biggest is realizing that if you're going to be developing your content with an audience, you're going to be showing them not just your successes, you're going to be showing them your failures. And that's uh-huh. a dirty word, failure word, uh, for a lot uh-huh. of businesses. But the, the fact is, there are ways to use your failures as a powerful addition to the process of creating your content.
1: And, well, sure, and you're people, learning from it.
3: Yeah, you're learning, and, and you've got to do some stuff. You've got to fail fast. You've got to fail together. You've got to fail in context. And there's ways of doing that that are not going to put your brand at risk. They're just going to help you make your brand stronger
1: that makes a lot of sense. Uh, We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we'll speak more with Kelly Leonard about immediately useful steps for bringing the power of improvisation and yes, and thinking to your own company. Stay with us. During this holiday season, Scott and I want to thank you for being part of the Growth Igniters Radio community. This has been amazing as a learning experience for us, and we want to hear from you out there about the value you've been getting from what we've been producing every week since February of this year. Go to growthignitersradio.com and click Contact Us at the bottom of the page. Who knows, you might see your testimonial up on our website. Also, do you have an idea for a guest you'd like to hear in the coming year? We're always on the lookout for more best-selling book authors and innovative CEOs of successful companies to learn from. Again, go to growthignitersradio.com, click Contact Us at the bottom of the page, and we'll get back to you to follow up. Welcome back to Growth Igniter's Radio with Pam Harper and Scott Harper. Over the last two segments, I've been talking with Kelly Leonard of Kelly Leonard Productions and the famous Second City and author of Yes And, about the power of improvisation and co-creation in businesses and organizations of all kinds. Kelly, can you tell us again how people can find out about Yes And and about uh, all the other ventures between Kelly Leonard Productions and The Second City?
3: Yep. You can head to secondcity.com, where there's tons of information on the Second City and Second City Works, our corporate arm. You can follow me on LinkedIn, and I'm on Twitter at KLSecondCity.
1: We'll also put a link under resources for this episode page. That's growthignitersradio.com, episode 44, so people can go and visit that way as well. So back to our conversation. We are at the point where we uh, ask our guests about three pieces of immediately actionable advice uh, so that as soon as they're done listening, we want people to put down their iPhones and say, okay, here's what I'm going to do right now. So what's the first thing that you might suggest for uh, putting the power of yes and to work?
3: Well, I've heard people say that, you know, they're not getting enough creative ideas out of their employees. There's not enough ideas. And, and the fact is, if you have people who work for you, all ideas come from people. You, you're not getting to the people enough to get the ideas. So what we recommend is creating short but inclusive brainstorming sessions every single week, even multiple times during the week. So let's just say it's 15 minutes. Uh, people across different silos and different parts of the business, bring them together to collaborate, and come up with ideas. And the key there is you can't say no. For that 15 minutes, every idea has to be listened to, every idea okay. has to be said yes and to, and then see what happens. Because I think a couple things are going to happen. First of all, you're going to have more ideas, and you're going to have more good uh-huh. ideas. But you're uh-huh. also going to have employees who are more excited to come to work and contribute even more ideas. That's the first hmm. one.
1: Okay. So let's talk about the next one.
3: So the, the other one is about creating a culture of innovation. Innovation doesn't just happen because you send a memo. You've got to have a culture that speaks to that. And that's Mm -hmm. all about what I call creating failure modules. You have to have places where bosses and employees can model their failures. So for, for us, we do it as part of our nightly improv set where we're testing out material late at night. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. It's free. You know, it's, it's easy and fast to fail. But what are other ways that companies can do it? Well, some like to celebrate their bad ideas by doing roasts at the end of the year where they make fun oh. of all the terrible business decisions that a bunch of different people have had. Uh, just mm-hmm. sharing our epic fails sometimes is, is a lot. Of, it's fun, uh, but it also shows, especially younger employees, that successful bosses fail plenty of times, and so they shouldn't be uh, reticent about coming up with new ideas for fear of failing. Uh, You can have fun with hate mail and have fun with the way people have negatively interacted with your brand as a way to sort of getting to truth. That's where the comedy part of of this comes in, because a lot of comedy is about uncomfortable truths, and, and anyone in business has to deal with a lot of uncomfortable
0: truths.
1: Kelly, how do you make it safe for people to do this? Because uh, some of the things you're talking about are really edgy.
0: They are.
3: But some of them you can just do internally. So, you know, when we're talking about a culture of innovation, it really is about what's going on inside that business that's not allowing it to externally be as innovative. So that means that internally people have to feel that it's okay to come up with challenging ideas, and, and, and some of those are not going to be good, because, you know, mm-hmm. we don't succeed 100% of the time. Um, you know, an improvisation itself, you know, a 30% success rate is fantastic, uh, and a lot of people, I think, would say to themselves, oh, man, if, I, if I'm at my job and I'm only succeeding 30% of the time, I'm going to get fired, that's probably the ratio you're at, and it's maybe even less. I mean, look at a baseball player. If, if he's hitting 30% of the time, he might be mm-hmm. going for a title, an actually batting title. Uh, so there is internal uh, ways that you can contextualize failures, and there's some external ways it's possible. That is trickier, but that is something that Second City does. You know, We've been doing it for, man, for over 55 years, presenting these late-night improv sets, which are sometimes people's favorite part of the show, and yet the failure rate is really high on those.
1: So what's the difference between a failure where you say, this is really a failure, we can't do anything with it, and maybe an idea that has a germ of some possibility to it, it's not quite so successful yet?
3: Yeah, so in our world, uh, when we create a show and put it up and it gets terrible reviews and no one comes, that's a failure. That's not a failure you want to repeat, and that's not a failure that anyone is enjoying. Um, Mm -hmm. The kinds of failures that we look to embrace at Second City are small, they're portable, they're fast. And they're part of the process to getting to the end. They're not the end. We're not saying, like, we want to fail. What we're saying is we are going to fail along the way. So why not have places built into our process of creation where those failures are allowed to sort of exist and be dealt with out in the open, and sometimes they can reveal themselves to be mistakes that are worth paying attention to.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe
3: along the way, a little failure will show you that, oh, what if we went this direction instead? That's happened a lot, I know, in my business career. I mean, I remember one of the earliest examples of that that I had was when I was director of sales at Second City, a group that I had been booking regularly, this big group, like 100 people, came to the show, had a terrible experience. They didn't like the show. They the, the, like, spilled drinks on them. There was a problem with the, what they got charged. And this person basically said, I'm never coming to Second City again You know, to me. Mm. And, I, and, and I really was sort of like, what do I do? How do I save this client? And so I offered up. I said, look, you know, we made a big mistake. If you give us one more chance, I will comp your tickets for as long as you want to come to Second City. Free tickets.
2: Wow. And they ended,
3: they ended up coming back. They had a great time. And when I made the offer for the comp tickets the next time, they said no, that they'd be happy to pay. And it was hmm. sort of like, oh, okay, it was a little risky. You know, there was a, ch- a big chance of failure there. But I steered hmm. into it. I steered into the failure and got then what was a lifelong client.
1: That's, that's a wonderful story. Do you also find that the more that leaders in the companies or clients uh, are willing to exemplify and, 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 and really go with this concept, that people around them in their ensemble feel more comfortable doing it themselves?
3: Completely, that's Vital. That's a huge part of leadership. The the leaders I admire and, and the ones who I find are the most successful carry with them real human traits that are relatable, uh, and that's that's how they're leading. They're leading by example, and part of that example is I fail. I fail often. You, you are going to as well. Don't let it keep you inert, and don't let it mm-hmm. keep you static. Use your failures. So absolutely, modeling these behaviors is essential because they're otherwise meaningless. They are words okay. on a. On a on a paper.
1: Okay. So for all you leaders that are out there who are listening, you're the ones who are going to set the stage here. So uh, Kelly, we have time for one more quick idea. What could somebody do, I mean, literally right now, that would enable them to practice yes-and concepts?
3: Yeah. So there are a variety of improvisational games that when you play them in groups, they improve certain kinds of skills. And, and my favorite one is telling a story one word at a time. So let's say you got five people in, in your particular group. Um, uh-huh. What you do is you gather them together, and you say, we're going to tell a story, but we're going to have to do it one word at a time, each person saying that word one word at a time. And what happens in the playing of the game is it forces you to listen, and it forces you to cede control, because sometimes... The word you have to say is the or and. You're not going to get the uh-huh. fancy adjective because you've got to keep the story going. And the story's going to get screwed up. And sometimes people are going to say two words and you have to go back. Playing games like that, little improv, improvisation games, I would say it's like yoga for your social skills. It gives you a tune-up in, in an area that is vital for people who want to be creative and innovative. They have to listen. They have to be empathetic to others. And these games strengthen those skills. So playing one-word story will make you a better listener, it'll make you a more empathetic person, and it'll bring the team together.
1: This is a great example. In fact, one of the things I really liked in your book is you had a number of these games in the back of the book. So people can open this up and choose from, a, there were had to be at least 10 of them that uh, you could choose from and Take with your groups and practice. I just love it. So Kelly, any final thoughts about this whole concept of improvisation and business?
3: I think that the most important thing is to realize that we're all human beings. You know, whether whether we're we're entering our home or entering our business, we have human being traits. And what improvisation does is takes a very specific aspect of our humanness, uh, the part of us that is looking to collaborate and build things together and we have skills building and we've got practices and methodologies that make individuals just better at that and that's an important ingredient it's not the whole thing it's not going to deliver everything to a business but it is going to help with your people inside your business and making them better contributors
1: it's a starting point and it keeps uh, everything going kelly thank you again for being our guest on growth igniters radio
3: Thanks for
1: having me. And to check out resources related to today's conversation, share on social media, find out about upcoming episodes, or open a conversation with us, go to growthignitersradio.com and select episode 44. Until next time, this is Pam Harper wishing you continued success and leaving you with this question to discuss. How can we start using the principles of improvisation to increase creativity and collaboration in our company today?